As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and we have real, actual U.S. Men's National Team roster news to discuss on this episode. And to help me do that, it's Joe Lowry. Joe, are you ready to talk national team? It has been a very long time. I am incredibly ready, Taylor. (laughs) I am so ready. Yeah, I mean, it's been... I can't remember the last time we we did a show about the national team. It does feel slightly strange uh, to to make it awkward up front because, obviously, Daryl is not here with us. Uh, Daryl would have been doing the national team reviews, but I think uh, Daryl, as we've talked about previously, was the one who, uh, I think, sort of first introduced us or first like uh, introduced your work to me. And I like that now you can kind of step in and, and do the national team work, help me make sense of this roster, help me make sense of this team, and I hope that you are uh, ready to talk national team 100 percent. yeah it's weird to be filling in and to be standing in mm-hmm. for the reason that you just said but i mean we're here and we're going to talk about this roster because there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of players in terms of the tactics we could see there's tons and tons and tons to get through yeah there is and i think for what it's worth uh like one of the things that we kind of consistently have heard from listeners about daryl is about his positivity and enthusiasm for the national team and i think if anybody can reflect that positivity and enthusiasm it's joe lowry so we're <laughs> gonna get into it uh first a little bit of background uh greg berhalter has called in 24 players for the usa's friendlies uh they're playing wales in cardiff on november 12th and then panama in austria obviously on the 16th both match will kick off at 2.45 p.m. Uh, they will be available on uh, FS1, Unimas, and TUDN, uh, TUDNA. Excuse me. Uh, two other quick reminders. One, no MLS players on this roster. Not even players from teams that are already out of the playoff race. There was some speculation we'd get some Galaxy players. But uh, nobody, I think that is largely because of COVID restrictions. They would probably have to start quarantining now to be able to, uh, to play for the national team. So I think it was probably just easier to go with European players. Joe, does that make you sad, given the amount of time that you have spent watching MLS this season? Well, sorry, I'm just a little distracted, Taylor. You just said that there's no MLS players because Greg Berhalter thinks Jordan Morris is a bad soccer player. That's the one. That's what you said. (laughs) 
Oh, man. All right. And Seattle fans are triggered. Thanks for that, Joe. <laughs> yes, that is the other reason, obviously, is that Greg Berhalter doesn't care about our domestic league. And so here we are. No, it is that it is the quarantine issue. Uh, it is also, I think, when people look at this roster, sort of worth noting that we have uh, some experience and then some the opposite of experience. A lot of young players on this team. I think the most players I've ever seen playing for like second division teams. Uh, and I think there is a reason for that because looking at the schedule this summer, it is as congested as the Premier League uh, like calendar around Christmas time. We've got uh, World Cup qualifying starting in June. We've got the CONCACAF Gold Cup uh, starting in July. The Nations League is scheduled for June. We'll see if that ends up being the case. And the Olympics scheduled for the end of July through August. So there will be many, many competitions going on. I think we go back to the idea of like potentially three different national teams competing in three different competitions, depending on what ends up happening. But I think that maybe partially explains some of the names on here because you want to give these youngsters a look. You want to make sure that they're involved in the team, involved in the camp. Uh, and so I think that's worth noting up front too. No MLS players. And then a lot of competitions means a lot of variety when it comes to this roster. Any other like broader points you wanted to mention, Joe, before we move to omissions? Just just one for me. The The variety of European players, and you just hinted on this, there's no MLS guys here. There's a lot of European players playing in different leagues, mm-hmm. playing at different levels with varying levels of experiences in their past. But that's a good thing because of all the competitions that the U.S. has coming up in the summer. Ideally, there will be a split of teams. Greg Berhalter can't take the same 20, 25 guys with him from one tournament to the next tournament and then give those guys to Jason Kreiss for the Olympic qualification. I mean, there's things that have to happen here. We need to evaluate players to see which players can contribute what in in terms of the style of soccer that Greg Berhalter wants to play. So with these two friendlies, I think we're going to get a lot of really good data points for which players have it, which players maybe don't have it, or which ones are in between. So Overall, it's a positive thing, I think, that we're seeing all these European guys in this camp because we're going to learn a ton about these players. I agree with you uh, because looking at a lot of the names that I didn't know and then watching footage, reading more about them, I think to your point, it does seem like there are a lot of players who it's like, oh, they're going to try to do that role. Oh, he wants them to do this role. Like You can sort of see where they'll be given their minutes if they get minutes or why he has brought them in. And again, I think that is like the kind of clarity in the program that Greg Berhalter has established of we know we want our number six to do this. We know we want our right back to probably do this, but maybe do this on occasion. And so we can then kind of look at these players and see, are they capable of that? Will they do that? And I think for many of them, the answer is sort of like, yes, that is their natural thing they want to do. So it seems pretty natural to include them yeah the positional profiles are getting clearer and clearer yeah which is cool because that allows us to do exactly what you just said we can look at a guy excuse me we can look at all these different players on the roster and say you fit here or or maybe you fit here instead and that helps us in our analysis and that helps Greg Berhalter I assume in how he wants to set up this team yeah, I think so. And I think it also maybe explains some of the names that were not included. I don't think that there are any two, like, there's no shockers. There's no, like, ah, Christian Pulisic was left off because why not? Um, there were some, I would say, like, Dwayne Holmes was one I saw kind of asked about uh, pretty frequently. He has only recently returned from injury. Six appearances for Derby so far this season, only two starts. Uh, certainly more appearances than, say, Timothy Weah, who does make the roster. But I think for Dwayne Holmes, maybe there's an element of Burhalter kind of knows what he uh, will bring to the table and isn't necessarily interested in like going for that right now. But I think it's also a thing we've kind of not necessarily complained about, but seen in the past that I don't think Dwayne Holmes necessarily fits with what Burhalter wants. I'm not entirely sure why. I don't know if you have a thought on that or if you even agree with me on that, Joe. 
I don't know about Dwayne Holmes. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why he's not in this roster because you just made it very clear. Timothy Weah and other players who aren't playing a lot of minutes are in the roster. Dwayne Holmes, to me, seems like a pretty well-rounded, mostly versatile number mm-hmm. eight that can play in any of the spots, any of the alignments that Berhalter might have that fluid central midfield in during a game. And so the, the Dwayne Holmes thing does confuse me a little bit. But I don't think I'm too bent out of shape about it. I don't think a lot of people will be too bent out of shape about that omission because of the other young, promising yeah. central midfielders in this group, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not this this huge problem that it's been in the past when we haven't been as optimistic or as curious about the group as we are this time. So Dwayne Holmes, I probably would have liked to see him in here. But as you said, Taylor, it might have something to do with that injury. And we've got plenty of other options to sink our teeth into anyway. Yeah, we do. Uh, and I think Joe and I may, uh, before these games happen, try to do a show in which we like pick our ideal starting 11s and talk it out a little bit more. So maybe as we watch some more footage, we'll have better answers. But I do also think that like we haven't seen uh, the national team at full strength with everybody fit and ready to go. Hopefully that is end up what we end up getting here. But I, I do think then there's a chance that against Wales, we're going to see a very, very strong team. We may well see another one against Penn. Panama to get these guys, uh, Panama, excuse me, I'm not sure why I added an R to the end of that, Uh, but we may see that to get them additional reps since it's been so long, but since it's not like we have meaningful games in December that we absolutely have to prep for. So to some extent, I think this is veterans are going to get a lot of minutes. Some of these newbies are going to get like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but I don't know if it's going to be quite that like we're going to see one squad and then a completely second team in the next game. And maybe that is also part of it as well, that you don't need some of those like second team guys. You know what they're going to bring. Instead, you want to see the veterans, the A-teamers, and then the youngsters who could challenge eventually. Uh, I think maybe that explains Dwayne Holmes, but I think that there are other players omitted that are easier to explain, like say, Bobby Wood or DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, given that this is an all-European team or all-Europe-based team, there was some thought that maybe both of them or at least one of them would get called in. Neither does. I'm going to put that down to lack of minutes, lack of sort of stable situation with their club. Yeah, and and just as a clarification, because I think we both said it already on this show, not an entirely European-based uh, true, 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 true. We've got Johnny Cardoso coming. Yeah. yeah, non-MLS roster, exactly. Yeah. We've got Johnny Cardoso coming from Internacional in Brazil to join up the squad. That will be playing in Europe. Um, and, and to be honest with you, Taylor, I was so focused on making sure I had Johnny Cardoso's name right that I don't remember <laughs> the question you asked me. Did you get his full name? That's the big question. Oh, boy. No, I definitely Jean-Lucas did not. Jean-Lucas de Souza Cardoso? Yeah, he's, oh, he's, he's, he plays in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my question was, oh, do you think that we can probably explain away the lack of Bobby Wood and DeAndre Yedlin ah, as yes. a lack of minutes? I mean, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Those guys are on a downward trajectory in terms of their professional careers, it seems to me, and in terms of their role in the national team. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking at players like Reggie Cannon making it in instead of DeAndre Yedlin, and I think that's okay. We're looking at strikers like Joachini or Josh Sargent or the other talented young forward, Sebastian Soto, on this roster getting looks instead of a guy like Bobby Wood. It just seems to me that those players are not as involved in the player pool as they once were. That's just the reality at this mm-hmm. point. And I think that's fine. I think the the disparity in trajectories is enough for me to say we don't really need those guys to get looks because we already know what they bring. If we do need them, if Greg Berhalter does need them in his pool, he knows what they're going to give him and he can go get those guys when they do need to be involved. But until that point, 
I'm all for collecting more information on some of these other guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, I think, is that it, it's not like, oh, well, ne- no DeAndre, that's done. I think it's no DeAndre until. And that right. until is potentially Reggie Cannon is hurt and we need another right back who can come in and do it. We know what DeAndre Yedlin can do. Or it could be until he's suddenly starting every single game for Newcastle or moving to an MLS team and then starting every single game there. Like, I think... Again, this is worth remembering that it's not just like, oh, well, they're not there, so they're done for forever, and he'll never look at them again. <laughs> I think with a lot of these names, there are reasons why they're not included, but that doesn't mean they won't be included ever again. I think Tyler Boyd is probably in that conversation as well, so too is Cameron Carter-Vickers, that it's sort of, we know what they're going to bring. Cameron Carter-Vickers has had injury issues this season. Tyler Boyd has had consistency issues, so maybe that's another one of like, all right, well, I want to get some other looks. Maybe we'll call you guys back in if the situation requires, but for now, we're going to go a different route. I don't really have any issues there to be honest i don't really have any issues with any of the omissions because i'm excited for this squad i had previously wanted to see aaron johansson get get another look we had talked about him the last time we talked about americans who had a good weekend matt doyle uh in his roster preview i think pointed out that johansson sort of doesn't necessarily do what greg berhalter wants and is close to 30 if not already 30 so maybe there's an argument of isn't like quite in the form we need him to be or isn't quite playing the position he needs to be and is soon to be on the wrong side of 30 when we do have lots of other youngsters come through. We don't have that many striking options, so I wouldn't have minded it, but that might be the only one that I was sort of like, oh, I thought we might see him. Oh, well. Especially with the form that he's been in scoring goals, it did seem like this was going to be the camp where Aaron Johansson was back in the fold. But yeah, I mean, is it a big deal? Probably not. We've got other options. There are other players on this roster Mm -hmm that I'm more curious to see than I am to see Aaron Johansson, to be completely yep. honest, just from a personal perspective. I agree with you. The And then my final omission that I thought was worth noting, you could throw in Shaq Moore, Andrea Novakovic, or Haji Wright, potentially, but I would, I would mention Eric Palmer-Brown here as a player who has been sort of like earning his way into the starting 11 and getting minutes and is in a is in a strong situation I would argue compared to maybe some players who did make it and certainly some who didn't but then you look at the fact that there's only four center backs on this roster we'll break it down in a minute but it's Brooks Miazga, Reem and Richards I don't think I would take Eric Palmer-Brown over any of them. Uh, some people might raise an eyebrow about Tim Ream, but I think if you're only going to take four and you want to have an experienced team with some youth, that's pretty much what that looks like for me. So again, wouldn't have minded Eric Palmer-Brown, but not completely torn up that he's not there. Yeah, I'm with you. Tim Ream gives you a little bit of cover at left back if mm-hmm. Berhalter wants to stay at home left back. It wouldn't surprise me to see him start at that spot in one of these two games over Anthony Robinson Chris Richards give you, gives you a little bit of cover at right back, but I'm guessing he's just another option yeah. at right center back. And then Brooks and Miazga seem to me as the likely starting pairing. Obviously, I could be very, very wrong. It's happened once or twice before. <laughs> uh, you being wrong or them starting? No, me being wrong. Well, I guess both, but <laughs> yeah, I was I talking both, about yeah. me being wrong. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's hold off the defenders for just a second because first, let's talk about the three goalkeepers on this roster. Joe, who have we got uh, potentially in goal? So for goal on this roster for the United States men's national team, we have Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, and Chituru Odunze. Mm-hmm. All three guys playing in Europe, as we've said kind of over and over again on this show. Yep. Zach Steffen, the backup for Ederson at Manchester City. Ethan Horvath, the backup for Simon Mignolet at Club Bruges. And then Odunze sort of working his way up the system in Leicester. 
Right. And Adunze is still a teenager, even though at six foot six, you might yeah. not expect that to be the case. Uh, but he, he is a very interesting story. Born in North Carolina, moved to England, played there, moved with his family to Canada, played there, and then went on trial with Leicester, moved back there in August of 2019, and has been with the Leicester under 21s, I think it is, since that time. Um, and I think this is probably one of those, we want to reward you for, for making that move. We want to remind you that you're in our plans and you're in the conversation. We want to make sure that maybe people are aware of your name, both in the United States and in England a little bit. And then also maybe want to give, get some looks at you for a potential Olympic roster. That's my reading on the Adunze inclusion. Uh, does that make sense to you? He's not going to play, right? He's not no. going to play in these two friendlies. And that's fine. I want to be clear that that's not a problem. Greg Berhalter's getting an up close and personal look at some of these younger players. As you said, Odunze's 18 years old. He's a giant, but he's young. He just played in the U-17 World Cup last year for the U.S., so he's been in the youth system a little bit. Keep that going. Keep keep yeah. letting him know that he's valued and, and that they're tracking his trajectory. There's nothing wrong with him being included in this roster. I, I'm curious for you, Taylor, as we look at the other two names mm-hmm. on the goalkeeper pool, and obviously if you had anything else on Odunze, add that in whenever you'd like. But when I'm looking at Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath, these are two guys, as I said, backing up other goalkeepers in Europe for the most part. We just saw Ethan Horvath in that excellent Champions League performance last week or the week before, but he's not the regular starter for Club Bruges, and, and Zach Steffen is obviously not the regular starter over Aderson under Pep Guardiola. So my question to you is, how big of a deal is that? Or is that not a big deal? Do we need these goalkeepers to be getting regular starts, or is there training environments and an occasional appearance in a cup competition or in a one-off Champions League game? Is that enough? Again, this is just my perspective. Uh, I would say it's a much bigger issue for Horvath than Stefan, in my opinion. Uh, I think because with Stefan, as you've already said, it's Man City, it's Pep Guardiola, it's Aderson. They spent a lot of money on him. I don't expect Zach Stefan to be the starter. I expect him to be a capable backup who gets minutes here and there, probably in the League Cup and things of that nature, or in like dead rubber Champions League group stage games. Uh, and I don't really have a problem with that because it seems like it's furthering his education. He's getting the experience. We know from... Uh, hearing Pep Guardiola, watching Pep Guardiola, watching videos of Pep Guardiola coaching, that even if you're reserve, you're getting that treatment, you're getting that attention. So I have to believe it improves his game. And in terms of sitting on the sidelines, the one I always sort of remind myself of is that Sergio Romero was the starting goalkeeper for Argentina for like the entire time he's been a backup goalkeeper at Manchester United. So... I don't have as big of an issue there with Zach Steffen. Ethan Horvath, I think, because it's Bruges, because I think also... He sticks out in my mind not for like, oh, yeah, he was really good that one game or like, oh, yeah, he was consistent for so long. It's a shame. It's those kind of blundering moments. He had one of those recently that then they end up kind of being able to make up for it. But with the national team, we had a few sort of questions at times. And and so I think I would rather see him being a consistent starter and getting consistent minutes so that we can use the word consistency more often as opposed to erratic or uh, like howler prone at times. Maybe that's too harsh on Ethan Horvath, but that is sort of where I am with him and why I expect it to be Zach Steffen starting at least the first game, if not both. Maybe it's Horvath getting uh, the second one. Uh, But yeah, I think less of a problem with Zach Steffen being the reserve than Ethan Horvath is my quick summary of a long answer. I generally feel the same way about the goalkeeper position, talking about Romero still starting for Argentina. I think I feel the same way about goalkeepers not necessarily needing to be consistent starters Mm -hmm. with their club to get looks at the national team. And I'm not exactly sure why I feel that way compared to other positions. Because if there's a 
a player who's expected to be a high-level starter for the U.S. at, I don't know, at right wing or at number nine, any any real outfield position, I think my expectation of them is that they're a regular contributor to their club side. But I think at the end of the day, it does need to be on a case-by-case basis. And maybe the goalkeeper position is a little bit less demanding in terms of Mm -hmm. you need to be getting consistent game-like reps. I'm not a goalkeeper, so I don't really know the answer to this question. But I think it's funny and a little bit strange how in my mind, and it seems like in yours as well, it's not as big of a deal to us generally for goalkeepers to not be playing every game than it is for outfield players. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it relates to what is the coach asking of them. And like for whatever reason, uh, Petr Cech struggling, really struggling to play out of the back with Arsenal is the one that always stands out in my mind of if Greg Berhalter needs Zach Steffen to do something or to do specific things and he cannot do those and then also isn't getting reps at, at his club team so then he's not able to improve those skills, that's where I have a problem. But it seems like Zach Steffen more or less does what Greg Berhalter needs at a fundamental level and then can get a little bit of sharpness in training. We'll put him in the sticks. I think there's probably less of a concern there than there would be for a player who's having to adapt what they're doing or learn a new thing or adjust what they want to do. That's where I think I would want to see them be more consistent. That's it. I do want Zach Steffen to become the starter. Don't get me sure. wrong. I'm just okay with that not being the reality right now. It's just not realistic right yeah. now, right? I mean, we're just not going to see that happen in the near future. So yeah, get Zach Steffen continuing to to train under Pep Guardiola and continue to work on his foot skills, which I think are are solid, but there's a lot of room for improvement in terms of his distribution. But get those skills built up over yeah. time, over the course of this season, still early on in that season, relatively speaking. But there's no issue there. Zach Steffen's probably going to start one, if not both of these games. Ethan Horvath will start the other if Steffen doesn't start that second game against Panama. An almost absurd amount still to come from my conversation with Joe Lowry. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. You can get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And I will say that today I am very, very thankful for HelloFresh because uh, we're recording this on Election Day, which is not at all a stressful time, and I'm not at all anxious 24 hours a day. Uh, But I don't really want to then take that anxiety out in public. I don't need to take that to the grocery store. My wife and I are having HelloFresh tonight to help us relax and just do something simple. We can cook together in the kitchen. We can take our mind off of things that are happening uh, for the foreseeable future and instead just enjoy a good meal, enjoy each other's company. Won't that be nice? Let's hope so. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, as I said, so you can just enjoy the process. It is a great value. You can save 40% when you use HelloFresh versus shopping at the grocery store, and it allows feeding the whole family to be a very simple process. With lower prices for larger box sizes, more servings means more savings. That's clever. But more savings does not mean they're skimping here. That is not the case. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality, pre-portioned ingredients so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious. Over 90% of ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure peak flavor and ripeness. I'm not entirely sure what options we're going to be going for tonight. We have to first agree on that. But say next week, if you wanted to go with HelloFresh, you could get Italian chicken with lemony spaghetti and zucchini. All right. Ancho barbecue sloppy joes with pickle slices and oven gold potatoes. Also sounds delicious. And sweet chili pork bowls with bell peppers and candied peanuts. Candied peanuts will win for my wife. That is her style. HelloFresh does offer more than 20 chef-crafted delicious options every week to help you break out of your recipe rut. So even if one of those three I just told you about doesn't appeal, trust me, there are many, many more. 
If you would like to try HelloFresh for yourself, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS90 and use code TSS90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. One more time, go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS90 and use the code TSS90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. Now back to myself and Joe Lowry. Uh, let's talk defenders. Then we've got Reggie Canada, Boavista, Sergio Desta, Barcelona. You may have heard of him and that team. John Brooks, the aforementioned of Wolfsburg, Matt Miazgov, Anderlecht on loan, Tim Ream of Fulham, Chris Richards of Bayern Munich, and Anthony Robinson of Fulham. We have an actual left back. And by my count, three, le- uh, three fullbacks in this team. We're not going to do our starting 11, but First off, did you enjoy the names that you saw that were listed in defense? Because I think I mostly did slash very much did. I I definitely did. Okay. To, to one-up you a little bit more in terms of superlatives <laughs> there. I like this list of guys. You've yeah. got center back cover. You've got four default center backs. Mm-hmm. And you've got full backs, especially on the right side, who are very strong. I think Serginho Dest and Reggie Cannon are the two best right backs in the player pool. Then we look at the other side on left back, and we've got Anthony Robinson, who's been playing consistently for Fulham in the Premier League, which is which is cool, right? He started the last five games for them at left back, maybe one at left wing back, somewhere in that stretch of five. But he's playing on the left side and attacking up that side. And if that's what Greg Berhalter wants, that's great. He's the player. He's the best player in the pool to serve as a traditional, but also very high attacking left back on that side. Mm-hmm. Dest can do it, but he's more comfortable on the right. And I think that's I think that's generally accepted at, the, at this point. He can be a high, highly contributing player on the right. So if Anthony Robinson is the guy at left back, that tells us that Berhalter is going to send, you know, kind of send everyone forward and yeah. have him be a high, high attacking player. And if it's not Anthony Robinson, that probably means we're going to see Tim Ream at that mm-hmm. spot. We're going to see him defend a little bit more. And we're going to see the U.S. spend a lot more time in a three at the back shape which is also fine. So both of those options at left back with Anthony Robinson being the attacking one, Tim Ream being the more central, a little bit more reserved option. I'm okay with both of those options and it's not about me, but I think Berhalter likes those two options as well. So overall, this list of defenders is something that I'm very high on and I'm excited to see whatever combination of these players we actually do see in a couple weeks or or even next week, I think. Yeah, so with that, with what you just said in mind, two things. The first, uh, I said maybe like next week we can like give our starting 11s and have that conversation. Maybe we could also do a like when last we saw ketchup because people may have forgotten some of the things that Greg Borhalter was doing, some Mm. of the ways the team had changed from his first couple games in charge to his most recent game. So maybe we could look at some of those trends and then do our lineups next week. Uh, Hopefully that works for you, Joe. your schedule now. Uh, but <laughs> I also want to do that because I think you've made a very good point there that, as I said earlier, that I did see some questions about like, why are we still going with Tim Ream? Why not bring another center backs? Why not bring in another left back? And I think uh, uh, you've sort of answered it there. Number one, with the idea that he is a veteran, we know that Greg Berhalter has given him the captain's armband in the, fa- in the past. And I think he wants to have some stability there, but also because I now won't be surprised if against Wales, we do see Tim Ream as left back, Matt Biasgun Brooks in the middle, and probably Serginho Dest on the right. And then against Panama, we go with a more standard back four with maybe Robinson on the left, Cannon on the right, and they're both attacking fullbacks because we've seen both of those looks from Greg Berhalter. And it does then make sense to me for him to trot out both of those as sort of refreshers and to see what works with this squad. So again, yeah, I think it then makes a lot of sense. Do you think there's a decent chance we get that split over those two games? I do. I do. I think Greg Berhalter likes having as many options and as many opportunities to rotate into 
not not rotate in terms of the the lineup rotation, but in terms of in-game rotations. He wants to see his possession shape change over 90 minutes. And when you have Tim Ream in the lineup who can do one job and you have Anthony Robinson potentially in the next lineup to do a different job or even coming in midway through the game, Greg Berhalter has exactly what he wants. He has the options to change things and to see his team attack in a fluid way to move the defense and to disorganize the opposition using the ball. That's what he wants to do. And I think there's a great chance we're going to see that split at left back from one game to the next based off of the quality or the perceived mm-hmm. quality of Wales versus Panama. Yeah. All right. So then that 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 was like a very useful thing for me because I was trying to do the math on like, is it Destin Cannon one game and then like Destin Robinson the next? How is he going to balance this out? And suddenly, yeah, those two different looks do make a bit more sense. I'm also just really excited to get an opportunity to see Anthony Robinson, I hope, starting a game for the national team because I think we've only seen him in games that were sort of when the program was in flux, when they were still figuring things out, when he didn't have the best talent around him. He has not covered himself in glory when playing for the U.S., don't get me wrong, but I think he is a much better player than we've seen and certainly than this sort of general of impression of him seems to be. I think he's proven that at least somewhat at Fulham this season that it hasn't been a massive step up that he hasn't been able to handle moving from the championship to the Premier League. But I think he also just hasn't had the cover in the past. I think he wasn't playing with much experience in the past. And I think with a better like lineup around him, I think we see him look more solid. I think maybe we have some more answers about him as our left back. I do think coming out of this, if he looks better, I think he keeps getting called in. If he does not shine this time, having previously said like nobody's out of contention, I think this hurts him a lot. So I think Anthony Robinson is maybe a player that I, that does have a decent amount at stake in this camp, more so certainly than other players. If John Brooks has a bad uh, game or two, I don't think he is out of contention by any stretch of the imagination. Put it that way. If Anthony Robinson struggles mightily defensively mm-hmm. against Wales and against Panama or wherever his minutes are, that doesn't cover him in glory. That's no. not going to look great for him. And I'm kind of torn, though, because the the game that I remember Anthony Robinson playing most clearly for the U.S. was against Brazil, and the program was in flux. Yeah. But setting all that aside, he was tasked with shutting down or at least matching up with Douglas Costa. And Douglas Casa blitzed him over and over and over again. And it's hard because I can't think of another U.S. player who wouldn't suffer the same fate against a guy like Douglas Costa. So I'm kind of torn here because I think Anthony Robinson is never going to be an elite lockdown defender. But I'm curious if my perception of him has been tainted by that game and by just watching him get turned over and over again and beaten over and over again. Because we're going to see every single other player, almost every other player in the U.S. pool suffer the same fate. So... Overall, though, Anthony Robinson would be served very well by a quality defensive performance or at least a serviceable one that makes his his defensive downside pale in comparison to his attacking upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other points you wanted to make with the defenders? Aside from like we haven't talked about, say, Serginho Dest very much or Chris Richards. It's amazing to me that we have Barcelona and Bayern Munich in our de- in our defensive roster. Uh, but I think we've talked about them plenty. It's just nice to see them both in the national team uh, this time around. I feel the same way. I don't think we need to say anything about those cool. guys other than for Chris Richards. I think a lot of people are going to get to see just how mm-hmm. good he is if he plays in these games. I agree. Joe, why don't you take us to the midfield next? Headed towards the center of the field. We have yes, Tyler sir. Adams, Johnny Cardoso, Owen Odasoe, Yunus Musa, Weston McKenney, Richie Ledesma, and I believe that is the entire core there. We've got, I tried to at least say those in order of positions at least a little bit. So Tyler Adams, 
Cardoso, and Oda Soe. That'll take me some time. Those three are the more reserved in midfield options, not in terms of their style of play, but in terms of their positioning at least. And then higher up the field, you've got Weston McKinney, Musa, and Ledesma, who are more of the eight options in the central midfield group. It did throw me off at first to see this midfield and think it was kind of threadbare until I realized that, yeah, to your point, you basically listed players who can play as the six, can play as the eight. Maybe a couple of them can do the number 10 job if the situation requires, but more uh, attacking midfielders, I would say, like, say, Gio Reyna included as a forward on this roster. There are eight forwards included on this roster, I think only six midfielders, so we can talk about Gio Reyna and those attackers in a moment. But so let's maybe break it down with, do you want to go with the names? Do you just want to go through name by name or do you want to look at the position groups? I'm kind of fine with either one. I'm not sure which I prefer more. Let's do the position groups. I think that'll give us an interesting way to think about these players within their rough position outline. So is that all right with you? Yeah, yeah. And I think we could probably start with the obvious one, Tyler Adams, who, though Greg Berhalter wouldn't say he's a six, I think Greg Berhalter avoids doing that sort of labeling for clarity for simplicity's sake we're going to say Tyler Adams is going to be in that at the very least holding midfield role doing the defensive job we would at least expect that barring some sort of fitness issue at the last minute right right before we started recording this Taylor I actually read Berhalter use the term number six and Tyler (laughs) Adams in the same sentence so I think we finally won him over Ah, but that doesn't matter right the terminology doesn't matter Tyler Adams is in this group if he's healthy I mean he's been in and out of the Leipzig Mm -hmm. lineup a little bit with some Minor injuries, it seems like, this season. If he's healthy, he's the de facto starter of the options at the number six spot. He'll cover ground defensively. He's got a decent passing ability. His range isn't at the level of maybe the next guy that we'll talk about in this group. But, yeah, Tyler Adams is Tyler Adams, and I think that's as far as we really need to go. (laughs) Yes. Other than just, I think, I forget how many times we've seen him. Is it still only the one time under Greg Berhalter he's played? I think so. Was it just that game against Ecuador? That maybe there have been more, but that's what I vaguely remember. Oh, there have been more. There have been a couple more friendlies or games here and there. Maybe we just haven't seen the three of them. I think we haven't seen all three of like Adams, McKenney, and Pulisic yet. So let's make that happen, or maybe we've only seen that once. But yes, I'm with you on Tyler Adams is our six. I think we can pause that one for now to look at some of the other options. Who else could theoretically compete with him for minutes in this camp? Johnny Cardoso is a really interesting name to me, and we mentioned him already on this show talking about the one entrant from a non-European club yeah. coming from Internacional in Brazil. He's a guy that I'm guessing a lot of people aren't going to know a lot about. I yeah, didn't know a lot I about him. Hand on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're both in that boat, right? We both spent yeah. time earlier today and maybe even a little bit yesterday looking forward to this roster, mm-hmm. digging through a film of players that we didn't really know a lot about, and Cardoso is one of those players. So I think even... Even we can just sit here and go back and forth a little bit about what his game is and what his scouting report might look like. Sure. Uh, I do have him as potentially in the Tyler Adams role. I also think he does fit a little bit in the Weston McKinney role, that number eight box-to-box sort of a destroyer, but a ball-playing destroyer is what I would go with. The the comparison I have for him is that he's a slightly younger Weston McKinney, so he's like he has that sort of rawness that we saw at times when he was first playing with Schalke, where like he would do something amazing, but then a lateral pass would maybe be a little bit wayward, uh, or potentially a more mobile Alfredo Morales. Those are the two comparisons that sort of came to mind watching his game. I have Cardoso down as more, uh, slightly more of a Jackson Yule type guy, actually, okay. which is really right. interesting. And I don't know which one of us is right because we do only have limited film mm-hmm. that we've gone through. I mean, we haven't poured through eight of Internacional's games watching him move every single second. But at least the skills that I see, and I'm not saying that there aren't shades of the guys you just mentioned, 
But I think Cardoso is a pass-first midfielder, and that doesn't mean right. he couldn't play the number 8 spot because you still need those skills at a lot of spots, especially in the midfield. But when I watch Cardoso, I see a few things stand out. I see his willingness and desire to break lines with his passing, which yep. is something that Weston McKinney likes to do. But Cardoso, with his right foot especially, is really clean with his passing. He can hit that diagonal that Berhalter wants. He can drop between the center backs and has done that some for Internacional in Brazil in his limited minutes there. And he uses did you eyes see, to move defenders. Did you Go see ahead. that one ball that he played from the middle, like out wide to the left fullback? That that just I, I did write down like that's a Bradley Yule ball, right? It there. is right, <laughs> yeah. and maybe that's maybe that's why I'm swayed to thinking of him more as a six, is because I see him hit those passes, and all I can yeah. think to myself is just that's what Berhalter wants Tyler Adams to be, but I'm not sure we'll ever see Tyler Adams actually be able to do that. <laughs> it's it's tricky, right? We see him do those skills, we see Cardoso pull those things off, and that could put him as a number six. That could have him be. Part of a double pivot if we see Berhalter shift mm-hmm. to a 3-4-3 three, three in possession at times. There are lots of things that Cardoso could do, which is fun. Yeah. No, and I think, I think you're probably right that he, he does seem to be a player who, at least from like my very limited understanding of him and, and the, the two games I think I watched of his are like the com- condensed footage of his games that you could, I could see him as a Jackson Yule, but then I think it's like if you look for him to be a destroyer, you will see examples of him being a destroyer. When he goes yeah. in for challenges, he does not back down. He will fight for everything. The one that I saw a couple different times is he's definitely a player who knows about afters, where it's like, oh, the ball's gone, but I'm just going to knock you a little bit. It's not going to be enough for a foul. It's not going to be enough for a card. But even if you've passed it, you're going to get a little hip check. You're going to get a little elbow bump as I run by you. So I thought that feistiness is maybe where some of the Alfredo Morales, Weston McKinney stuff was coming from. But just that willingness to fight and to to battle for loose balls, I think will endear him to national team fans. But I had a hard time reconciling that with what we've seen from, say, Adams, Yule, even Bradley to some extent. I wouldn't think of them as kind of like midfield battlers. I do think, to your point, there are moments where he does remind me of Yule and Bradley, specifically with Internacional. I saw him, or Internacional, not, they're not Italian. Uh, I saw him dropping deep to receive the ball and then help build from the back. I don't know if you noticed this, but it seemed to me like a lot of the time he would do it on either side of the center backs as opposed to dropping between them. And I really thought that was an interesting wrinkle, that he would go to the right side of the right center back and be an option there or drop to the left side of the center back and be an option there. But not just simply going between them, splitting them. Everybody has to drop back in. I just thought that little that little nuance was interesting to me, that it was a ver- like a, a sign of variety that I'm not used to from that position. Add another wrinkle, another layer to what Burhalter can do. And I think yeah. that's, that's again, that's what he wants to have players who are flexible. A guy like Cardoso who can drop into a lot of different spaces in the back line or in midfield or stepping forward a little bit into the attacking half. Cardoso can drop into those different pockets. And that's, that's a neat thing because it gives you more things to play with and more elements to adjust and tweak over the course of a game. So I like that from Cardoso. I didn't notice that specifically, mm-hmm. but hearing you describe that is, is honestly pretty cool. I think it, it was mostly just like his versatility that sometimes he was like, oh, he's playing right back now. Oh, no. Now he's a left back. Oh, now he's a center mid. Oh, now he's like a number eight. Now he's a wide midfielder. I'm confused. Uh, so it seemed he does seem to have a lot of different attributes to his game. So I think, yeah, getting to watch him, I do think we'll probably see him get some minutes either as like 
uh, 60th minute sub in the first game. Maybe he starts, but I think more likely is maybe two appearances off the bench. But I want to see where he comes in. I think you're right that it's probably in that number six spot. But then how he does and if he makes it his own or if we see him trying to kind of sit deeper, play those diagonals, break the lines with his passing and sort of adjust to the more standard number six role that we've seen under Greg Berhalter. I think that's a good bow on the Johnny Cardoso discussion. Are you good to move to the third really more defensive-minded player in this group of midfielders, Taylor? I hope it's the same one. Do you have it as Owen Odesoe? I very much do have it as Owen Odesoe. Yeah, uh, the 19-year-old midfielder for Wolves. uh, Daryl would be very, very happy to have seen Owen Odesoe in this roster. I don't think we will get an opportunity to see him play, necessarily. Uh, I have in my notes that... This feels like a, we wanted to get him familiar with the team. We wanted to get him familiar with what a national team at camp at senior level is like. Uh, so if we do see him get minutes, I think it means he did very, very well in training and sort of showed that he can play at this level because pretty much all the footage I saw of him, in fact, all of the footage I saw of him was with Wolves uh, U21s playing in the Rubenevsh, uh Jean Boutinho spots. He's played almost all of his minutes there with Wolves in the reserve teams or or building up through the youth system there. He's not a consistent player for the senior team. That would be a much bigger deal if he was, because I think at that point, we really got to evaluate his skill set and how he can fit into the starting group for Greg Berhalter. Mm -hmm. But right now, we can learn a little bit from, we can learn about Otisoe from how Berhalter responds to him in this camp. We can learn a little bit by watching some film of his time with Wolves. But I don't think he's going to going to feature much for the national team in these couple of games. I'm with you on that one, Taylor. So what did you make of the game of his game that you did see? Because I, I saw it as being pretty a pretty strong defensive midfield presence. He is definitely pretty big. I didn't look up his height. I might do that now. Uh, but he seemed like a, a big presence in the middle. He kept the ball moving, didn't like get caught on it too much, seemed okay. I didn't see a lot of like creative long passing. I'm not sure that's a thing he was even being asked to do. So I'm wondering what your read on his game was. Starting from a physical standpoint, he is a big guy. I don't have his height down either, but he's a big guy with long legs. And I think when you're younger, especially... Six foot two. There we go. He's tall. He's, yeah, he's several inches taller than I am. He's a tall guy with those lanky limbs that mm-hmm. can lead to a little bit of awkward movement. And I yeah. think we see that with Cardoso a touch as well. But because yeah. he's still young yeah, yeah, yeah. and maybe growing into his body slightly, I look at him as sort of a lumberer right now. He's, he's very fast in the open field, very hard to beat when he has time to accelerate. But when he's trying to make quick movements, it looks like he's a little, Awkward, like he's still trying to figure out how to move. So that's the that's the general disclaimer to start from a physical standpoint. He's still very strong, fast in the open field, and has the ability to cover ground and win the ball because his legs are so long. In terms of his technical skills, he's right-footed. He likes to charge forward into space. He, he loves to drive with the ball. Much less of an aggressive passer, as you mentioned. Very much more of an aggressive dribbler, or at least an, an aggressive space exploiter, which yeah, is not a term yes. that anyone is ever going to use outside of this one moment in time. But he uh, likes I might use to exploit that on, space. Because I think that's a really good way of phrasing it. Because it's too easy just to say, like, oh yeah, he, he like holds the ball well, he's big, he's strong, he's physical. You, you That gets lazy. I like the idea of, yeah, he can exploit, sp- exploit space that way. I think that's well done, Joe. I like that. Okay, well, I appreciate the compliment. Maybe I will continue to use it. That skill, that uh, that willingness and ability to drive forward into yep. space with the ball at his feet is actually why I thought he would be more of a center back. Uh, and he still might. There's still plenty of time. Again, he's 19 mm-hmm. years old. But I see him, and I have seen him in the past, as more of a center back because 
that's one skill that I love to see from central defenders is their willingness to to step forward past that first line of pressure or just into a pocket of space, force the defensive line or force the midfield line to commit and then play the ball into a, a pocket of space that they've just opened up with their dribble. So I love seeing that out of a center back. Beralter's been actually pretty good or the U.S. soccer has been pretty good at giving us an idea of where players are going to play based off of the roster announcements, which yeah. is why you and I have him as one of these potential central midfielders for this camp. So I'm guessing we're not going to see him play center back. And we've talked about the four center backs already on this roster. But to give listeners an idea, that's the kind of movement that he likes to do. He likes to stride forward into those open areas of the field or even into somewhat congested areas to try to create things for his teammates in that way. That's a really good shout. That Maybe we won't see that now, but I won't be surprised, especially with Wolves continuing with the back three, if we see him sort of move back to that to see how that goes. So until that happens, maybe we'll see him as the number six, but more likely in my mind is that we don't see him play very much in these two coming friendlies. I think we'll probably see Weston McKinney play a little bit more. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, I think that's that's pretty fair, Taylor. That's a pretty <laughs> cold take. All right, cool. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know what you mean. That was my hottest of hot takes. <laughs> Actually, I do have a take on Weston McKinney, which is Watching him play for Juve this past weekend, my specific prediction for him in these in these coming friendlies is that he's going to do something wild. He's going to try something that either like won't come off and we're going to be like, what was he doing? Or he will have some ridiculous piece of skill. Just because with Juve, he seems to have... Uh, like it, it's a thing that I think a lot of players will do is when they move to this like a a team that is truly like a next level team they simplify they don't try to kind of go in there and be like this is how I play I'm one of you too don't worry I got this I see him being very quick in his decisions it's not many touches it's keeping the ball moving it's making sure he is positionally where he needs to be this past weekend he was being asked to do two or three different jobs defensively, two or three different jobs on the attack. And that seemed to be he was very aware of his spacing and keeping the ball moving, keeping it very simple. With the national team, I think maybe we'll see him go back to like, you know, what we've seen from him in training of trying stuff, being the, being the goofy, lighthearted one that I think keeps everybody smiling. I won't be surprised if we see him go for some like double step over with a roulette added on or some sort of skill move just because he can with the national team. That's my that is my hot take specific prediction on Weston McKinney. I'm here for it. I think that's actually a pretty good embodiment of Weston McKinney's personality and his skill set. With Juve, we're not going to see him do that double roulette with no. a step over and rainbow or whatever it was. I mean, we're not going to see that happen because I don't think he could withstand the wrath of Andrea Pirlo. Um, but <laughs> with the national team, we might see a little bit of a reversion, which is not, I'm not using that as a negative term. Yeah. We might see him go back to to being more of an aggressive dribbler and being a little bit more of a playmaker, which is something that he can do. He, like Otisowi, he can, McKenney can dribble forward into space. I think that's his best attribute offensively, is his willingness to be aggressive with carrying the ball forward from a midfield spot. So he can drive forward into the attack, force someone to commit, and then spray the ball out to the option that he's just created. Or he can make those late arriving runs as a central position into the edge of the box, that Frank Lampard run that we hear about and have seen in the past. I mean, he can do those things with the ball. He can be more of a of an attacking creator than we've seen with Juve. So I think that's very likely. I think we're very likely to see him have more of an impact in the offensive side of the U.S. men's national team's games coming up here. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is a bit of a non sequitur of sorts, but I just wanted to ask your thoughts on this, Joe. If we are going with the idea that Burhalter is like the positions that he groups players into generally reflects what he's going to ask them to do, which is why Oda so he won't be playing center back, for example. Like, is there a chance that we're going to see something like a 4-2-4 or like a 4-2-1-3 or, or something just because of the number of people we have listed at, at Ford who could also be kind of central midfield operators? I guess specifically Gio Reyna is the number 10 that I'm thinking of. But do you think we're going to see anything that is like structurally different or are you expecting it to be roughly the same shape we've seen from the U.S. under Berhalter? I'm expecting it to be roughly the same shape because yeah, right. because of – these players' versatility. I mean, I keep coming back to it, but looking at Gio Reyna, Berhalter said in that same Paul Tenorio story I talked about a little bit ago, which is great, and you guys should read it at The Athletic, but Gio Reyna is a guy who Berhalter, I think, is going to start at right wing, and I'm sure when we do our lineups, we'll have the same, the same player there listed at the right wing spot, but he's going to almost certainly, especially with guys like Serginho Dest and Reggie Cannon running up the right side. Those are the only two right backs on this roster, really. If those two guys are taking the wide channel, that's going to cue Gio Reyna to tuck inside and to drop back just a little bit into the right half space, which now in soccer, unless you're playing a 4-2-3-1, you're almost certainly seeing your number 10s be more lateral or be more in those half spaces, or at least that's how I think Burhalter is going to approach it with Gio Reyna tucking inside. And we'll talk about this more later on this show or another show, so I'm not going to spend much more time on it. But he's going to be flexible in his movement and not always be wide. So yes, we will see shades of different shapes during a game. But I think the basic setup and the basic rotations will be things that we've seen from Berhalter before. With that in mind then, because I think I probably would have just assumed it was going to be Gio Reyna as that number 10. If it is him on the right, did you get the impression that it would then be Christian Pulisic as the number 10? Or do you think he'll be on the left? Well, I'm wondering, I think Pulisic will be on the left from what Berhalter has said in the past. I think he did an interview with Extra Time talking about Christian Pulisic and Jordan Morris on that left side and in competition with each other. It's not much of a competition. I like Jordan Morris, to be clear, everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not much of a competition on that side with Pulisic. Berhalter's talked about sticking those guys wide left, which really, I think the important thing to note here is... There's not really a number 10 position for the no. United States men's national team. And, I guess not, and we've, yeah. we've, we've slowly gotten to that point, but thinking about how the shape could look for the U.S., this is important to do, and the guys over at Scuffed have done this really well. But last we saw the U.S., and maybe I'm tipping our cards here too much, Taylor, but last we saw the United States, hmm. they played in a more 3-4-3 shape in possession. This was the January camp game that was actually in February of, would that have been 2020? Yeah, 2020. I think, for the United States against Panama. It was that January camp game, and we saw the U.S. play in a 4-3-3 that changed in live play to look like a 3-4-3, with the number six dropping at least very close to the center backs. That leaves you with two number eights higher up the field, and then that leaves your fullbacks going high as wingbacks almost in the 3-4-3, and the wingers tucking inside almost as double tens. 
So that, I think, is very likely what we could see here in these two upcoming games, or at least at times in these games, is that fluid shape that doesn't have one true playmaker, but it has multiple players coming in from the right wing and the left wing to occupy those half spaces and create from those spots. I really, really want to talk about Yunus Musa at this point, but I feel like we will go very long on him and then at the very end be like, oh, and Richie Ledesma. So <laughs> if we are going to go with that sort of number six dropping in, then the two number eights, safe to say Weston McKenney will be one of them. Safe to say we think Richie Ledesma is certainly in that conversation. I was not ready for him to be listed as Richard Ledesma. I f- it felt like his dad was being included on this roster. But <laughs> that aside, I was uh, I was excited to see him. He, if he does get a cap, it will be his first one at senior level. He has gotten one appearance for the PSV senior team, 16 minutes this season, significantly more minutes playing for young PSV scoring two goals. Like Joe, I think you have more familiarity with Richie Ledesma, or maybe that's a player that you've watched a bit more of. Are you like, would you like to see more of him? Not in terms of like, do you want to see him play more? But just like, this feels like a player that we sort of, I think had, I had in my mind as being on the Gio Reyna trajectory and to be a little bit negative for a moment that he is still getting the majority of his minutes, significantly the majority of his minutes with young PSV, I I guess I get a little bit nervous because sometimes those players make that jump, they get that breakthrough, or they go on loan, and then they come back and get that breakthrough. Other times they stay with that reserve team for a long time and keep going and keep going, and then suddenly they're 23 years old, and now they're getting a move. It's a little bit disappointing to not see him make such a big impact for PSV already, right? I mean, he moved over to the Netherlands in 2018, so that's... That's about two yeah. years ago now that he's been there, and he just just recently made his first senior team appearance this weekend. So he got that appearance on Sunday right. for PSV coming off the bench, grabbing an assist in those 16 minutes that you just talked about. I mean, he's not been a regular appearer for PSV, and that's not – it's not great, but at the same time, he's 20 years old. And we have to remember, and I have to remind myself – to be patient. We see guys yeah, come onto yeah, the scene sure. later on. He's playing for a team in PSV who – in terms of teams in the Eredivisie, have some of the best attacking talent in that entire league. I mean, you've got Ajax and you've got PSV, maybe Feyenoord historically as those top three teams. PSV right now and over the last year, or really since he's joined them, since Ledesma's come over to the Netherlands in 2018, they've had quality, professional, high-level guys in those spots that we could see Ledesma play as a more attacking-minded central midfielder or as a number 10 or even as a a serviceable winger who's really always going to come inside. So would I like to see Ledesma play more for PSV? Of course. Am I am I thinking that maybe we misevaluated him at the U20 World Cup or before that? No, I think he's still got a very high ceiling, and I like that he's in this group of players called up by Berhalter. I'm glad you—thank you for saying that, because I forget this pretty regularly. That like I've said this before, that because of how many young players we do have, how many young players are playing both for the nas- national team and just in terms of club soccer in the world, that suddenly— if the 17-year-old hasn't yet broken through, I'm like, well, that's it. <laughs> like the way we used to talk about 27-year-olds is how I now think of 17-year-olds. So uh, with that in mind, I think that's a great point that Richard Ledesma is still very, very young and potentially keeps getting those those like uh, cameo appearances with the senior team. And then in January or February starts getting more consistent starts. And then it goes from there. And then suddenly I look foolish. So uh, I'm glad that you've calmed down my anxiety about Richie Ledesma. Where do you think he fits with this team, uh, uh, let's say, against Wales? Do you think he's a starter? Do you think we see him get any minutes at all? Or is he kind of hanging out on the bench uh, as a happy-to-be-there guy? I think he's a guy who's probably not going to be in that starting group for this first friendly, but could very much factor in off the bench. He's He brings a list of qualities that a lot of other players in the whole U.S. pool 
don't really have right now. He's got creativity. He's got a great first touch. He's got good vision, willingness to to shrug his shoulder one way and then turn a defender. I mean, he can do so many things with the ball that for for listeners who maybe watched parts of that U-20 World Cup game against France, that's the one I'm thinking of in particular, where the U.S. won that game. Ledesma was a huge part of that and his creativity and his through balls behind the back line. All of those things were big for the United States U-20s in that game and in that tournament when he was healthy and playing games. So if Ledesma isn't, I mean, I think I think he'll be a, a part of this I think he'll be getting minutes on the field. Wow, that was that was tricky for me. <laughs> I think we'll see him play. I don't think we'll see him start. But he's a talented guy, and I, I certainly hope we see a glimpse of him for the U.S. in these games. Uh, I was hoping that this episode wouldn't go super-duper long, but we still have all of the forwards to discuss, and then Yunus Musa, who I think I may... We may spend between 5 and 30 minutes talking about him. <laughs> Can we talk about him now? I would love to talk about him right now, Taylor. All right, let's do it, uh, because he is a player that I did not even realize was eligible for the national team until yesterday evening when Paul Tenorio, Paul Tenorio's foot in work, uh, put out that tweet that he was uh, in contention or was going to be called in, and now here he is. Uh, the quick background on him, born in New York City, raised in Italy, went to the Arsenal Academy at the age of 12, played for England at U15 to U18 levels, but is eligible to represent the United States, Italy, England, and Ghana. Uh, has accepted this call up does not necessarily mean he is bound to the U.S. could still play elsewhere, but a very exciting inclusion given that he has broken into the Valencia senior team, admittedly a Valencia team that are kind of consistently in crisis and have to sell players, but still getting La Liga minutes is never a bad thing. Also scoring goals in La Liga, which he did this past weekend against Hatafe, also a pretty solid thing to have happen. Just to retread ground you just covered, for for everyone to hear and for myself to hear again, just because he's called up into this camp, just because Yunus Musa is here, does not mean that he will forever play mm-hmm. for the United States men's national team. Taylor, if only we knew someone who had done a really great soccer 101 episode recently <laughs> on national that. team eligibility rules. Um, but yes. for listeners, Taylor just did a, a few weeks back a really, really great episode that I learned a lot from on Soccer 101 talking about how you're eligible and, and how maybe you can still switch teams playing for national teams. But setting all of the eligibility stuff aside, it's cool to see him in this camp. It's great to yeah. see him in this camp. I'd never heard, to be fully transparent, I'd never heard of Yunus Musa in my entire life until yesterday, afternoon, early evening time frame. But since then, I've spent mm-hmm. a good chunk of my waking hours watching this guy play and watching his skill set, trying to figure out what he does on the field and why he's in this group of players. And I assume you've done the same, Taylor. I have. I have. I am slightly confused by him, though, I must admit, because he's listed as a midfielder uh, in this roster. From what I saw, he can play central, seems to do more right midfield slash right wing work for Valencia. Where do you think he fits in terms of the positions we've talked about or positions we've not yet talked about? He is going to be, and this is per Berhalter, not for myself. This Mm -hmm. is comments that he made earlier today speaking with the press he sees Greg Peralta sees Musa as a central midfielder, as yeah, more yeah. of a number eight, which also confused me as well, Taylor, because when I watched film of him with Valencia, he's playing as a right-sided midfielder. He's playing on the right side of a 4-4-2 in that midfield line of four. So he's he's not doing central midfield things with his club, but digging you know digging deeper and going into the past a little bit, he's played as a central midfielder for England's youth system, which is where he's played all of his international youth soccer games. He's been playing as a central midfielder. And I think Berhalter has seen that film, has looked at maybe what he can do and what he's shown for Valencia, tucking inside a little bit from that right side. And he's looked at those things and said, 
No, this is where we see this guy. We see him as more of a central player who can turn a defender on his back, who can drive forward with the ball, who can create something in that midfield area. He's got good athleticism. All of those factors for yeah. me is why Berhalter's seeing him as a number eight. And, and again, that's because he's told us that's how he sees him. The other thing I would say to that, because I hadn't seen that Berhalter quote, but one thing I did remember is the inclination early on to have like Pulisic and Sebastian Legette swap positions at times. So one would mm-hmm. be the number 10, one would be a wide on the left, and then sometimes they would just interchange or sometimes they would overload. I think we could well see that being the case here with him as a central midfielder who can go wide to the right, especially if it is Gio Reyna sort of tucking inside. I think you can have a little bit of that uh, positional versatility and you could switch a ruse, if you will, um, and you can sort of like capitalize that way because from what I saw, I thought he was a very creative player even when he didn't have much around him it seemed like with Valencia he was getting the ball somewhat in isolation not always with his back to goal but just sort of if they hoofed it long or played it down the line he would be receiving it turning and not really having anybody within 20 yards of him and yet could still take people on hold the ball up wait for support to get there or try some things individually to get past those defenders but I thought his ability to sort of create in a number of different roles in a number of different ways made me really excited to see what he's going to do with the team. He's willing to try stuff. And that yeah. stuff doesn't always work. I want us to remember that he's 17 years old and he's not yes, the he finished is. product. And, and you can tell when you watch him that he's not the finished product. He'll yes, still get <laughs> muscled off the ball at times. He'll still look maybe like he doesn't know exactly where he needs to be. He's developing. But one thing that has already developed and will continue to do, will continue to do so, but right now... He's willing to do stuff. He'll dribble at a guy when there's nothing else happening on the field. He'll turn a player and drive forward. He can do things. He's willing to do things that not a lot of other players in that senior La Liga team are willing to do. And I think that's a really encouraging sign. And even zooming out a half bit from Musa, talking about Ledesma again. Ledesma is another player, maybe even more so in this way, who's willing to try stuff. He'll... Mm -hmm. He'll thread that through ball in in ways that Musa probably won't right now. But both of those guys, to compare them to each other, different players, yes, but in their mentality and their willingness to do different things on the field are similar. Looking at this roster again, I feel like we have the highest number, like the largest number of players in a roster who would go for a no-look pass than we've ever had in the past. Because yeah. I, I saw, I think I saw Ledesma do that a couple different times playing for Young PSV. Uh, I think I've seen Yunus uh, uh, Musa do the same thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if any of our attackers go for one of those. So that makes me happy. Um, in terms of like player comparisons, again, because I, I saw him playing on the right side of midfield for Valencia, the player that he sort of reminds me of is a little bit Paul Areola because he fights for everything, even with the size of his match. I think he still likes his scrap. He likes to go into challenges. Even when he gets knocked off the ball or knocked onto the ground, twice I saw him still complete a pass while being on the ground because he keeps going. But he has that Paul Areola ability to... Like, sometimes he'll take you on and just be very direct. Let's say, like, the first time he's really direct, he runs at you. The second time, it's a ball over the top. Again, he's direct. The third time, it might be a long ball, but I I saw him, like, kill it dead and turn at the same time and bring it back and then recycle possession. And that variety in his approach reminded me of Ariola, but it also just made me really excited because I think he has a little bit more pace and I think there is a bit more variety to what he wants to do. And again, I think that's with a Valencia team where the right back Thierry Correa 
can get forward but isn't a dedicated overlapping fullback, and yet there were still chances being created even in isolation. So I like that idea that we don't even have to have the fullbacks bombing forward for the national team for Musa to still try things, to still like create space and create opportunities. Uh, basically, I'm just really, really excited that this call-up has happened. It's it's crazy that it happened, right? I, mm-hmm. I was not expecting this to happen. When he scored, to give background, he just scored a goal, his first yep. professional goal for Valencia recently. He just scored it over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And and so that was making the rounds on Twitter, and all of the conversation was, oh, another guy in the England pipeline. And, and you yeah. know, an English player doing stuff in La Liga doesn't happen very often at all. And then now we blink, and he's at least in the conversation for being a part of the U.S. program going forward. And I'm still... I'm still reeling a little bit. I don't know, to be honest. I don't know if he's going to be a good player or not. He's Right now, he's already a decent professional player at 17. Will he develop? Maybe. Will he stall? Maybe. I don't know. But the fact that he's in this group and we're talking about him at all with a realistic comparison and connection to the United States men's national team, that's crazy to me. And I think that's great work by Greg Berhalter and his coaching staff of being active in their recruitment of I mean, in this case, it's a quad international. What are we going to call that? We'll, yeah, we'll go with yeah. it. Just four. He's eligible for a bunch yeah. of different countries. And a we've seen Berhalter. Sure. We've seen, yeah, we've seen Berhalter make an effort to be in contact with those players over and over again. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but people who are far more in the know than I do have tweeted and have reported that Berhalter is connecting with yep. dual, tri, quad, you know, whatever internationals who have tons of options and can go play for higher level national team programs and so the fact that Musa is in our show today is yeah. is pretty promising from the U.S. standpoint yeah I, I think like to go back like a year or two ago when we were very concerned about like like why are we losing dual nationals why aren't they doing more they need to be out there talking to them who's in charge of it does U.S. soccer have a program for this to go to this roster and see just how much they are scouting the level of communication they do have and the level of contact that they have that so many of these young players who are dual nationals are, are eligible and remain eligible. We should reiterate that again. It, it does. It did like looking at the roster when it first came out. I did have this feeling of like, oh, like, OK, we're actually paying attention to everybody. This is really exciting. It's not just six people on Twitter who are tracking all of these <laughs> uh, potential national team players. It is also U.S. soccer, which like is a silly thing and sounds cynical. I don't mean for it to be, but it is true that like I did not have that faith in the program a couple years ago. I I I do more so now and I hope we continue with it. Uh I also think we should probably continue to talk about the rest of the roster, but uh, anything else you'd like to talk about with the midfield? No, I think that's probably good. We should likely continue our tread mm-hmm. forward to the forward line because hey, otherwise we we'll be here all day. We will. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Joe, as I said, eight forwards listed here. Who have we got? Yeah, there's a lot of guys in this position group, starting on the right wing 
We've got Conrad De La Fuente. Mm-hmm. We've got Gio Reyna. We've probably got Tim Weah on that side as well, although he can play in a couple of different spots. Yeah. The same goes for Nicholas Giochini, who's more of a number nine, but he could be a right winger. Then we might as well just go to the number nine spot since we're already talking about mm-hmm. it. We've got Josh Sargent and Sebastian Soto in competition for that spot as well. Then headed over to the left side. I think we've got Christian Pulisic as the de facto starter, if healthy. And then Ulianes as well, who's a contributor from that left side and has been a contributor for the youth national teams in the past. So let's stick with that right wing for a moment, because you mentioned potentially four players there. And yet I'm with you that if we're playing a World Cup qualifier tomorrow and we need someone to start on the right wing, if we're going out and out attack and, and pace, we're probably going to go Jordan Morris. If we're going to go with like tucking inside to be another number 10, it's probably Gio Reyna. It feels like those are kind of who it would be. So is it strange to you then that we have potentially three other names that could play there in this roster? It is a little strange, but I go back to the idea that Berhalter probably just wants to get a look at as many of the promising young guys as he can. So yeah, Gio Reyna is the guy at right wing in this group, uh, especially since we don't see Jordan Morris in this group at all. And I think even then, Jordan Morris likely to be fighting for minutes on the left side. But Gio Reyna is the guy. But then if you think about his his personality in terms of his on-the-field personality, you think about what he likes to do. For Dortmund, he's played as a central midfielder for so much of this season under Lucien Favre. So we see Gio Reyna tucking deeper and starting deeper in games for Dortmund. He can do that same thing for the U.S. So if Berhalter wants to get another look at Gio Reyna against Panama after starting him against Wales, but he also wants to look at Conrad de la Fuente, oh, Conrad de la Fuente or he also wants to look at Tim Weah and give those guys a chance to to play a game, which hasn't happened a whole lot, then maybe Gio Reyna slides deeper into midfield, plays as one of the central midfielders, and we get a look at Weah or at Conrad de la Fuente. Yeah, let's talk about uh, some of those gentlemen for a moment. Starting with Conrad de la Fuente, 19-year-old right-footed left winger for Barcelona. We expect that maybe he'll be more of a conventional right winger for Greg Berhalter and the national team. Uh, watching him play for Barcelona, more specifically for their reserve team or in friendlies, a couple of things stood out to me. I think number one is that he is constantly working. And, and for American fans who want this national team to never give up, to always work, to always fight, I think he is the embodiment of that. That you don't see that thing you sometimes see with attackers when the ball doesn't come or it's overhit or it's underhit. He doesn't throw his head up. I don't see him getting really frustrated. I see him instantly responding and adjusting and working to either regain the ball or get into the position he needs to be. I think that fight is really, really great. And that sort of willingness to work is really, really great. I think he's also another one who will try stuff. We're not going to go the Bruce Arena curse route, but we'll just say he tries stuff, and I think that makes me happy. I think to some extent he reminds me just a little bit of Tyler Boyd in that he wants to create stuff, he wants to try stuff individually, but at times that can be frustrating. I think two sequences in a row for Barcelona, I saw him try to take somebody on, get stuck, then they win the ball back, and he basically tried it again, and the exact same thing happened, or he may have even dribbled out of bounds. That's a small sample size, but I thought that was sort of interesting to me that he's this player who works super hard, but then simultaneously can be a little bit frustrating. And I'm not sure what that means for the national team and for U.S. fans, but that was my read on him. How much does that vibe with what you have seen of Conrad De La Fuente? It vibes a whole lot, Taylor. Okay. Conrad De La Fuente loves to to try stuff. He loves yep. to use his skills that he has an abundance of. He's very much... If you took Serginho Dest and, and maybe took off some of the refinement of his game, took off some of the polish, and then stuck him on the right wing or the left wing, 
that would be Conrad De La Fuente. He is a skiller through and through. And and it's funny to me, and I, I like that you pointed this out because I hadn't made that connection yet. He is also a hard worker. He's willing mm-hmm. to track back defensively. He's willing to pressure the ball. And oftentimes, I don't think we see those skills marry together very much. And so in terms of a development thing that I'd like to see from Conrad De La Fuente going forward, it's probably choosing his moments to try his skills a little bit more and being more selective with when to do those things. But I'd rather have that. I'd rather have someone who tries too many things than someone who is incapable of trying anything at all. Conrad De La Fuente has skill. He has defensive work rate. He's a promising young guy. Yeah, he's not getting minutes for Barcelona right now. He's probably not going to get minutes for Barcelona in the near future. Maybe not ever. But he's a talented guy who can put yeah. in work on the wing. And and you see another one who we would say probably not starting, at least not starting the first game. But maybe we see get some minutes in the closing 15 or something like that. He could definitely come on and maybe start the second game, but certainly minutes off the bench, probably in that tier of guy. Yeah. And then let's talk about the other two who could theoretically play right wing. Like, I'm a little bit confused because, like, Timothy Weah could be there but seems to be playing striker. And then Giolacchini could be there but also seems like he would be a better fit for the U.S. at striker. I think in the end we probably will see Tim Weah continue to play more of a right wing role for the national team. I keep saying right wing. We're on election day. I feel weird. <laughs> I'm just going to own that right now. But um, that awkwardness aside, uh, I, I've seen t- Timothy Weah getting minutes uh, for Lille. He's back in their team. Only 30 minutes and four appearances. He's finally back from injury. He's not yet starting. But most of those I've seen are with him playing more centrally than out wide. What do you think Greg Berhalter sees in him that will have him maybe staying on the wing? I, I think Tim Weah is such a versatile player who can mm-hmm. occupy almost any of those five attacking channels. So if we split the field up into five vertical zones, the number nine, 99% of the time stays in the middle channel. Then you've got your other midfielders and wingers who, in fullbacks, who are occupying the half spaces and the wide channels. Tim Weah is a guy who can run at somebody 1v1 on the outside, maybe on the right side of the field in that far right channel, or he can tuck into the half space, play, you know, maybe with his back to goal or with his hips turned sideways and play on the half turn, or he can be that number nine trying to make runs behind the back line or, or dropping back more into midfield. And he can do the same thing on the left side of the field, more or less, just driving in a little bit more. I believe he's right-footed. I could be mistaken. But if he's not, just flip everything I just said to the other side. It <laughs> works either right. way. It I, does. I will not be held responsible for that. It's just it's my own inability to remember. But it works either way. It doesn't matter. So Tim yeah. Weah can do all of those things. And I don't know why I think he's likely to be more of a, number, uh, more of a right-sided uh, winger in this mm-hmm. camp versus a number nine. I've always appreciated Tim Weah's ability to play as a nine. And I've always, I think if we went back in my Twitter archives, there would be tweets laying there with, you know, very few engagements talking about Tim Weah as a guy who could be a real option for the U.S. up top. He still can be, but something inside of me says maybe a Burhalter comment that I can't remember, or maybe just his skill set does fit more on the right side of the attack. But to be honest with you, Taylor, I don't know where he's going yep. to play. Um, I think he could do either job pretty well. Yeah, but I think that in and of itself is a fair answer. I'd rather you say, I'm not sure it could be here, sure. here, here. We'll see what Berhalter does. That's better than us trying to BS something and then being totally wrong. So, no, I, But I think that is also 
kind of where Timothy Way is, at least in my mind at this point, is a player who hasn't gotten the number of minutes we would have liked to for us to be able to say with confidence, this is what he does, this is how he's going to play, this is how they're going to utilize him. I think he could do like a lot of like off-the-ball work and challenging for 50-50s and vacating space for others to occupy. I think, and in that way, he is sort of like Giassi Zardes and makes sense as a striker, but then does have the technical ability, isn't necessarily like lightning fast, certainly has pace, but I think could maybe even do that, like the tucked-in job that we've talked about a little bit as a more advanced position. But I just think, yeah, he has a lot of variety. So if anything, that's just a positive sign that we could see him in a couple different places and and maybe possibly Will. I think, again, that that is the case for uh, Gio Acchini. Uh, I think I, I'm leaning towards we see him more as a striker, but I also haven't seen the quotes from Greg Berhalter. And thus far in this episode, whenever I say it could be this, it feels like Greg Berhalter <laughs> has preempted that by saying, like, no, he'll do this. You're wrong, Taylor Rockwell. I haven't seen anything about Berhalter uh, making comments Good. about Gio Acchini, Gio Acchini but uh, yeah. no, maybe that means it will happen right now as we're recording. But I think, <laughs> I think I'm with you, Taylor. From what I've seen of Joe Acchini, it seems like he's much more. It seems like his upside is higher as a number nine yeah. because of because of what he brings to the table. He's a really good athlete. He's quick. He's really active. But I don't see him as a one v one merchant on one side of the field or the other. I don't see him as a Christian Pulisic type winger. No. I see him much more as a very clever. Very mm-hmm. smart number nine who can drop in a little bit, who can flick the ball on for an on-rushing attacker, maybe moving in behind the back line, who can turn a player, who can dribble at a player a little bit, but not maybe as a primary skill. He's he's a smart number nine from what I can see. His movement is pretty good. And that's another reason why I think you prioritize that skill, that movement in and around mm-hmm. the box in a more central area, maybe versus uh, out wide on either side. Yeah, I just I just don't think... That I I still am of the mind that like Greg Berhalter wants his forward to score goals, certainly, but it's a, a little bit not saying they do similar things, but just the same idea as like Roberto Firmino for Liverpool, that him scoring goals is great and you want him to score, but also him dropping in or overloading one side or creating space for someone else to run into and score. I think Greg Berhalter is equally appreciative of that work. And that feels like what we could see from Gio Acchini. He could be opportunistic in front of goal, but has the spatial awareness and the read of the game, at least when it comes to Ligue 2. Uh, so I don't know if that will translate to national team games and especially an opponent like Wales, who I think will probably apply some pressure cause some problems. I think that kind of extends to a lot of the players we have been talking about and will continue to talk about because so many of them by playing for reserve teams or only having a few senior minutes, I think you can see them look really, really good and look really, really strong, but you never know how they're going to do when you go up against like proven international professionals. That's when I think we're going to see what they're like truly made of and how they respond. I think that will be the case for Gio Keene. I think it will be the case for Timothy Wea, probably for both Sargent and Soto as well. Sargent has a bit more experience playing at that level, Soto less so. Uh, but let's talk about those two goal scoring options, shall we? Yeah, I mean, Josh Sargent is the, I mean, it seems to us, the de facto number nine in this group of players. We've seen him get looks with the U.S. before. He's played with the senior team in the past. He scored his, uh, not his first goal, he scored a goal for Werder Bremen this past weekend, playing as an actual number nine, which is something that hasn't happened a lot during his time in Germany so far. He is the guy. I mean, until until we see another player leapfrog Mm -hmm. him for one of these two friendlies, he is... The, the starting number nine, and I think 
I think may, most people have a good understanding of his game, but he's a versatile player. He can drop in. He's got good speed to make runs behind the line if he needs to. He's technical. He's able to pressure a lot. Defensively, he's got a good motor. Josh Sargent checks a lot of the boxes, and he has checked those boxes for a while. We just haven't seen him wow anyone, really, for mm-hmm. Werder Bremen, and that's largely because it's it's Werder Bremen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Sebastian Soto, on the other hand, is yeah. a guy that we talked about last week, you and I did, mm-hmm. Taylor, playing in the second division in the Netherlands, so another guy like Joachini. We're not entirely sure about the level and how that will translate to a higher level in an international level, but he's someone who's been producing for Telstar in that second division. He's not starting every game, but he's making regular appearances and doing a lot of the jobs you want your number nine to do. He checks the boxes, different player than Sargent, but he's got good speed. He's got a good first touch. He looks confident when he's on the field in that second division. He's a promising guy, and I think it's good that he's in this group, likely not going to get minutes over Sargent, but could get a few minutes off the bench or just get looked at more closely by Greg Berhalter. Um, if you disagree with what I'm about to say, please, uh, I, I look forward to that uh, that opposite viewpoint. But when we talked about Sebastian Soto, I was confused as to why Norwich, why you why you would send him alone to the Eredivisie. It didn't like that connection didn't really make sense to me. Watching Telstar play, or excuse me, not even the Eredivisie, the Erste Divisie, uh, but watching Telstar play, it makes more sense because I did not see them having a ton of possession, like you know, dominating the possession statistic, moving the ball, finding opportunities, and then getting goals. I saw a lot of long balls. I saw a lot of direct play, and I saw basically him fighting for everything. Uh, certainly, he scores goals. Again, another person who is opportunistic. His I think volleyed finish was excellent, but it was a sort of ball lumped into the box. He gets on the end of it, and it's a great finish. He seems like the kind of like battling for stuff forward that we could utilize there. I, I'm not trying to diminish his skills. I'm sure he is very good on the ball and can create. But the way Telstar seemed to use him, he seems kind of like a scrappy battler more than anything. I'm wondering if that vibes with what you've seen of him. It does. He's played okay. as mostly, as far as I've been able to see, as part of a two forward front line yeah. and not like a, a number nine with a number 10 who's going to drop in. It's been a number nine and then another number nine next to the other number nine. So it's it's these two forwards whose job is to be an outlet, is to play with their back to goal, is to make runs behind the back line to try to get into space to counterattack. It hasn't been a lot of intricate possession soccer. Sebastian Soto has had to really work in these games for Telstar with you know with that squad on loan this year. And again, I mean he's not small. He's six, he's six foot, he is 6 foot tall. Whew, that took a while to say. <laughs> but he is playing against Erstede Vizi defenders who I tend to see him either hold them off pretty well or draw a foul because they barge into him. Playing against Sterner opposition, at least if, say, he were uh, got some against Wales, for example, I think they're a little bit more clever. I think that is a bigger battle. And how he handles the more intense physicality of the game, but also the faster speed of international soccer, uh, I think that will be a thing that I will be keeping an eye on. I don't want to necessarily predict how I think he'll do, but I think those will be the two things that it's going to be tough for him to adjust to. And I hope he does it really, really well. That would make me very confident, but I don't know. So that's why I'm noting it here. Backing away from Sebastian Soto specifically and thinking about this group of number nines, Mm -hmm. I like this group. Uh, yeah. I think I think Joe Akini is a very, very promising young guy. Yeah, I have to keep reminding myself that he's playing in the second division in France. But man, his skill is very high and he tries mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that I really like. And then yep. you look at Sebastian Soto, who we've gone over in plenty of detail, I think. He's another mm-hmm. promising young attacker. Timothy Weah is a guy who's produced 
at a higher level and more regularly than we're seeing right now that I'm confident isn't in his ability to to get back on the field, whether that's for Lille or whether he ends up moving somewhere else to get more minutes at some point. I'm not concerned about Tim Weah, and I, I'm not sure he'll be a number nine, but for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to loop him in there. And then Josh Sargent, he's been the the guy for the U.S. youth national teams, and, and he's been the guy labeled as the next number nine to take over from Josie Altidore on a permanent basis. That hasn't happened yet, but he's so young. Sargent is a talented guy. All four of those players I just mentioned have really high upsides, and I think they're on a good good trajectory to continue to get closer and closer to their potential. Would that extend to Ulianes? Yeah. Oh, okay. yes, it would very much so. All right. All right. Let's talk about him for a moment then. 19-year-old wide attacker. We've seen him for the national team. Uh, I think it was one of the few times that I have been more hyped about a national team player than Daryl was. Not to say that he wasn't excited, just that I saw moments from Ulianes that I thought were things we hadn't seen before or there was a confidence there that he backed up with performance. And I really, really, really like it. Speaking of confidence, though, this does feel like a confidence building call up, similar to some of the other players we've talked about. It's, you know, you're still in our plans. We want you to have some fun, like kind of get your vibe back playing with the national team where you already have a little bit of familiarity. Then we'll send you back to Haranavine, where he has thus far only played a total of 25 minutes in two games. So this feels like a confidence building call up more so than a we know what you can do and we want you to perform and we're counting on you to make something happen sort of call up. Yeah, Giannis hasn't been playing in the Eredivisie on loan from Germany. I think he's on loan from from Germany in the Bundesliga, right, yep. but he hasn't been getting minutes. So why not get him get in change up his environment and have him come into this camp and get to know the other young guys? This is an overwhelmingly young group of players. Have them connect with each other. There's a personal side of this as well as a a tactical roster building analysis side of it that I I can lose sight of the personal element of soccer and of playing on a team very easily sitting behind my computer watching film. But having Ulianas come into this camp is only a good thing. And now actually getting to the scouting report analysis side, I did videos over the very first part of quarantine because I was, number one, very bored, but number two, wanted hmm. to learn a new skill. I did a series of videos called Way Too Specific United States Men's National Team Analysis, which is a very, very long title, and that was intentional because it was a little bit of a joke. But <laughs> I did a video on... Ulianes and Gio Reyna together because they were both rising stars in the Bundesliga. Since then, as I just said, Giannis is no longer playing in the Bundesliga. But that's more or less how I view Ulianes is on par or maybe slightly below where Gio Reyna is. That might be an unrealistic expectation. But in terms of potential, in terms of ceiling, and in terms of what I've seen from Ulianes in the past, he's an excellent attacking player on that left side, cutting in onto his Cutting it onto his right foot, excuse me. He's able to, to make those steps, to, to cut inside and to draw defenders and to play clever, pla- clever passes into zone 14 or in behind the back line. Or he can dribble and beat a guy. He can do everything that you want, maybe minus top level athleticism that Giorena probably has. So to be clear, they're different players, but I both view them really highly. And that I think maybe helps, helps convey how I think about Ulianas and how I think he could factor into the U.S. moving forward. All right. And our final player that we should probably talk about for a bit is one that 
We said a lot about it in the past. We will continue to talk a lot about it in the future. It's Christian Pulisic, who did have to withdraw from the Chelsea squad due to a hamstring concern this past weekend. It has already been confirmed by Frank Lampard that it was a very minor issue. He's back in training. He, I think, will not play Champions League this week, but could play this weekend. Uh, that does make me think that maybe we'll see his minutes be more limited than they would have been previously. Uh, but I still think he is starting at least one of these games and being a very vital performer for the national team. If he's healthy for that Wales game, he'll probably start that yep. match, I would assume mm-hmm. so. And there's no reason not to start him after that. Yeah, manages minutes. Let's get a look at a guy like Ulianes or maybe even play Conrad de la Fuente on that side, if that's what Greg Berhalter wants to do. Let's get a look at one of the younger guys because we know what Christian mm-hmm. Pulisic can do. We know how good he is when he is healthy. There's no need to tempt fate and to, to hurt his hamstrings. Is there anything you else you'd like to mention with Pulisic? Just because I don't know how much we, you and I, have been able to talk about him so much. And I, and I know, like, as you've already said, you watch these things, you read a lot about them, you look at them very in-depth. I'm wondering if there's anything you've seen from him this season that is different or has you feeling optimistic or has you feeling a little bit concerned about his game. In terms of this season, he's played more on the right side of attack for Chelsea from what I've seen. He's played more as that right-sided attacking midfielder. And that's, or, or a right winger, I guess, is an easier way to say that. I don't know why I made that so complicated. But yeah, it's fine. that's not, to be clear, I don't think that's where Greg Berhalter sees him. And I also don't think that's his best spot. I think Pulisic is best on the left side, not all the way wide left. Although there are times when it, it's useful for the U.S. to isolate him on that in that wide channel and have him go 1v1 versus the opposing right back. That's great. I think Pulisic is oftentimes at his best in that left half space where he's playing maybe with his hips turned and he's playing on the half turn where he can drive forward, force defenders to come at him, beat beat them in that channel, and then drive in either for a shot or for a little slipped ball into the box and then have him continue his run on into the box and maybe grab a goal with his off-ball movement being a big contributor there. So looking at the U.S. men's national team, I think you can copy-paste everything we talked about with Gio Reyna and his his more narrow positioning that's going to have him be sort of a number 10, but also maybe just an, a winger who's moved into the right half space. I think we'll see that with Pulisic, but on the left side, where instead of being wide left all the time, he'll either start wide left and rotate in with the, the left side at number 8 or maybe the fullback. But either way, we're going to see him occupy that left half space, very similar to what we'll see from Gio Reyna or what I think we'll see from Gio Reyna on the opposite side of the field. All right. Well, we have gone plenty long on this roster. We were even going to talk about some of the players who had a great weekend in MLS, but I feel like we've talked plenty at this point. So maybe next week we can talk a little more MLS. We can talk a little bit starting 11s and things we're going to be looking for and make some specific predictions potentially. But for now, Joe, anything else you'd like to mention before we call this one quits? No, that's plenty for me. I think everybody's heard my voice quite (laughs) enough today, Taylor. I feel the same about myself. (laughs) Uh, So uh, until you hear more from us, we'll be back next week to talk more national team. There'll be other shows this week from the Total Soccer Show. But for now, Joe, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. You got it, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.